This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. And this is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding out that things aren't the way you thought they were, or maybe it's better to change things because it's more fun. This week we are following up on, well, it depends on how, of course, we, we decide to drop these podcasts, but we just did one on canon and why canon's important and when you should deviate from it or stay to it. And so this episode follows up on a thought I had based on when we were playing Weird Zone. And in Weird Zone, one of the rules that's in the book is that very rarely should you have visitors. Occasionally things happen on your zero plot, which is the, in essence, the ship that you travel through Weird Space. And it's only an occasionally thing to happen. But in my experience, it was so much fun to every single time they went into Weird Space have something happen, have something drop onto their plot and go knocking at their door or fall around them in a strange configuration of rain or whatever it might be. Every single time they went into Weird Space, I would trot out something new for them to do. And so it made me think about Fringeworthy and how in Fringeworthy, there's this thing called Fringe Weather, uh, weather on the Fringe Pass. And this is supposed to be a very rare thing to happen. And I said, what if it isn't? What if it happens all the time? Then it brought up a lot of other questions. So Richard, Fringe Weather wasn't in the earliest editions of Fringeworthy. You brought it out in, I think, the 1992 edition? I think it might have been the issue just previous to that. But 92 was the, the big edition that had the extra 100 pages or so. Why did you suddenly add Fringeworthy to the Fringeworthy game? Because it wasn't there before. Because it was a great idea. And it was interesting, and it added the little aspects to the game that make it a little different. Well, I thought that the reason that you added it to the game was because you were considering the long-term effects of the Tameller not providing uh, ongoing support for the fringe pass and how things would slowly get out of whack and this was a relief system uh, an aberration that happened as a result of the fact that there was no maintenance going on except for automated systems and the titanic nature of the amount of energy that was locked up into this interdimensional pathway system that's a great explanation oh so you like my explanation okay oh yeah and it also fits in completely with the fact that the T-Prime Tremeller by that time were gone. Right. 
So what I was thinking here was that what if it wasn't actually that? What if it wasn't there because of an omission? What if it was intentional? What if this was another thing that the Tamellers had put into the fringe system as a means to control movement along the fringe pass? As we know, the fringe-worthy filter was done to keep people off the fringe pass. Not because they thought they could hurt the fringe paths, but because Tamellar weren't going to be there, didn't want one fringe race warring on another fringe race, either immediately after the Tamellar war, Meller war, or later on after they had a crash and they built themselves back up again, because the Tamellar weren't going to be there to try to oversee them anymore. This was something to keep them localized. What if this was something they added as well to keep people localized? Something that would impede their travel, the fringe weather. What do you guys think of that? I always thought that the, the fringe weather was sort of a, a side effect of the problem portals. That just, it was another glitch in the system when the, the logic bomb went off that the Melor set. And so, yeah, it not only affected the portals and locked a lot of them down, but it also caused the phenomenon known as fringe weather. I just figured that's what all that was. Okay, but what if it isn't? What if this was intentional? Looking at some of the weather, like gravity storms. I mean, say you have your little army marching down the down the pathway and you get hit by a gravity storm. Uh, you know, that could easily blow half your army right off the path, pathway into, into the uh, zero-G area. And now you got to do a rescue mission to get them back before they pop out and vanish or asphyxiate. Because now we've added the fact that there's an ongoing breeze blowing down and out on the fringe uh, walkways. Now, of course, the walkways are 41 feet wide instead of being 8 feet wide as they were earlier. But even so, if all of a sudden you start floating up and you don't have any control, that breeze is easily enough to start blowing you out, not necessarily toward the, the zero uh, interface where you disappear into a burst of, of energy. Just the fact that you're going to float out into no atmosphere, that'll kill you even, even worse because it's a worse death then they just suddenly disappear. Yeah, and if you're lucky, that's what happened to you. If you're unlucky, you get caught in the updraft, and you go up how high again, Bruce? Was it again? A couple miles? You go up as far as there's atmosphere. It's actually a couple hundred miles until you come back along the other side. But before that happens, you're going to run out of air. But no, I'm talking about the air currents. Uh, at some point, though, you're going to get back. You can come back over the platform, and, and the gravity storm is gone now. Gravity! Whee! <laughs> Bam. And remember, it's that not the fall that kills you. <laughs> it's the metal poisoning at the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the sudden stopping. Yeah, sudden stopping always get you, yeah. When I was doing my uh, alpha test of Savage Worlds, I in the first couple of ventures, I didn't spring fringe weather on them because I wanted just to get them to places and do things. Then I decided to spring fringe weather on them. And at that point, they were completely freaked. You know, especially as there's one lone guy uh, trying to get back through a snowstorm. That was interesting. And they all of a sudden got a whole, all sorts of paranoid at that point about fringe, what, what was going to happen if any more weather happened. I did. I, I had rain on them. I decided to pick, not roll randomly, because I, I didn't want anything nasty happen to them initially. I want them to at least get the idea that there's going to be fringe weather. And then we'll hit them with the nastier stuff. 
you know, like the Psy Storms or the uh, or, or the Jelly Fires or Memory Storms. Memory Storms could be actually fairly disturbing if you're not careful. Well, I would hope they would be disturbing. Yeah. They're not your memories. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you happen to have a memory of a beautiful summer day, and I don't think most memory storms are full of things like that. I think they're full of very disturbing, chaotic thoughts. Since we're talking about weather, Richard, ghost train, what is it? The what? The ghost train. And what does that have to do with weather? <laughs> yeah. Ghost train? No, ghost train. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> it's something traveling the pathway that isn't quite there. It's spatially off. Would it actually be a fringe train coming on by that's sort of ghosting in? Something like that. Oh. Can you hitch a ride? No. Does it does it look like a normal fringe train? There's probably multiple variations. That's kind of up to the GM. You know, if it's steam, that's one thing. If it's you know a high tech, we're actually in the next book going to show the Tremelar transit cars. Yeah, or is it just a cylinder of some sort zooming down the uh, pathways? Yeah. The main problem is the system is literally from about 1800 on is breaking down. And that's also part of the Tremelar, uh, the Tremelar and Commonwealth War. Going from the supposition that this is intentional, I was thinking that if every time you went out there was going to be weather, how often do they hit the weather? Is it time-based or is it distance-based? Because if you travel, let's say, 20 portals, on a journey just because you're just traveling a long journey are you more likely to run into fringe weather just because you're going a greater distance or is it because you're out on the fringe past a certain amount of time before it triggers i would think it would be completely random i also would think because i like to choose my weather and say roll it randomly it's going to be based on needs of the plot if you want it to happen all the time, then once you get within a certain period of time, it's, it's literally happening everywhere all the time. You go from one portal and you go onto a pathway and, and you've gone from electro storms to jelly fire. You go from jelly fire to gravity storms. I mean, how often are these things going to hit? And that comes down to what you're trying to do here. All this is part of an ongoing project I have of trying to make the fringe paths as interesting as possible. In essence, they are another world in and of themselves to explore. Most people who play the game are not introduced to the game that way. Well, first of all, if you're like way, way back, there wasn't any fringe weather. You know, the fringe pass was nothing but a big desert of, of roadways that you had to get over until you got to something to do something. You know, now we have a lot of stuff out there. We have, you know, the old men. We have the fringe gypsies. We, you know, we've always had the pirates. There's a lot of things that could be out, fringe walkers out there wandering around. So this weather, it needs to be in, in a way integrated into the plot of how it operates out there. To me, it's like every time you go on a journey, you're going to hit at least one form of fringe weather. Just because I think that's that would be cool. I would like to have there more weather than what's listed here. As a matter of fact, I was very surprised that it didn't include rains of X. I was actually expecting to see rainstorms that dump stuff. And I think that's because I've been seeing so many other games from Richard. 
That's in weird zone. That's in weird zone, right. So I was thinking that that was also part of the fringe weather, but it's not listed as one of those things. I'd throw that in. Rain of frogs. Rain of toasters. One of them's more dangerous than the other. You know. Yeah. Rain of lubricant. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a whole different story. Get back to Hatsumi, and you're sitting there to the guy in the motor pool. He's there right now his clipboard. Now, let me get this straight, Eight. What went through your Muscovy windshield? (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, not only that, but, I mean, you're going down the fringe paths, okay? And you have to stop because there's a mountain of 14 to 18 foot tall of toasters that goes on for a mile. Yeah, and they they don't dissipate. Yeah, they're there permanently until until you can shove them off. What do you do? I mean, it's because we know that the fridge weather goes on both sides of the pathway. Go around the other side, it's still there. Yep. So maybe you could go along the uh, the very edge. You could get off on the fringe, you know, and just kind of swim through it. You know, maybe on the very edge. Of course, you couldn't bring your cars that way. So you'd have to somehow get yourself a snowplow of some kind. But anyways, that's one of the things I, I liked about the idea of the rain of whatever. And actually, you you might see a few orbiting, too. If you were uh, the Tamelern and you were trying to keep this as a a means of keeping people from warring on each other, so you were trying to slow them down, you're trying to make it so only small parties would be able to navigate this effectively, the weather is, is what I would see as a way of doing that. These things are massive storms. Even though it's the description of it says that it goes through a portal and moves to the center of a platform, hangs around there for a while, and then takes off. That implies to me that the storm's only at the most 600 feet across. That t- doesn't sound right to me. Is that what you intended, Richard? The logic of the storms is only a dump, usually on the pathways or the platforms. And just, it was something minor, usually. Well, no, a gravity storm ain't minor. You can get blown off the platform. An electrical storm isn't minor either. Yeah. Just say, yeah. Well, I like the idea of them being bigger. Remember we talked about this before where we said that you have this storm that's on both sides of the fringe path. It's going down, and all of a sudden it has to force its way through, because it's moving at, an, at a pretty constant speed, I always imagine. So it's forcing itself through that 50-foot portal, like you're basically forcing water out of a, the hose end, the sprayer end of a hose, and it's blasting through that 50-foot portal. Electrical storm, an air, you know, an air storm, a snowstorm. I mean, that's blasting through, and then it forms. It's going to be on the top of the platform. Because we also said that storms are only on the top of the platform, not on the bottom side. It's on both sides of the fringe pass. I see this as a bigger conglomeration of, of effect than just 600 feet because it's also going to be going up. could be, mile, like you said, miles long. And basically it's pouring through, piling up in the middle of the platform before it finds a weak portal and starts going through that. Well, it's, it, it's still only going to go through the pathway portals. It never goes out through a planetary portal. Say it heads to our prime. Well, where's it going to go from there? Back to the p- platform again. It's going to bounce off the prime platform and come back. Right. It can't come back until it finishes going down that pipe. Then it comes back up again. They're always going to go from a platform to a platform. However, there is also the other possibility that it evokes those hidden portals and actually ends up going somewhere else. That's true, too. Or even coming from somewhere else. If we do assume this... 
are they actually random or are they in fact triggered by people being on the fringe paths? Hmm. I think this is entirely random. And it's probably not the T prime tumelor that are left in the system that are doing it. It's probably just the engineering flaw that's becoming more and more pronounced as time goes on. Okay. Richard, I understand that that might be your intent, but this is this is why we're talking about perhaps deviating from canon. What if it isn't? What if it's intentional or even unintentional but caused by the Meller bomb? Why wouldn't it seek out people or travelers on the fringe pass? You know, I'm thinking about the gravity storms because what we said in the canon was that even though it's, you know, only like a couple inches thick, the, the pathways are only a few inches thick. On the outside. On the inside, they're like, oh, really big, because there's a big old wedge of, well, planet inside of them to, 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 to create the gravity. Right. It could be, gravity storms are basically, we have some sort of dark matter going over the top of the platforms, basically enough dark matter that you can't see it, but it's enough that it can actually disrupt gravity. So this is like part of the operating system dumping garbage, and it's dumping garbage right on the pathways. And that bath, that garbage is dark matter, which has which has mass and gravity, right? <laughs> but you can't see it or interact with it. Okay. Other than through its mass, which means it it, it cancels out the gravity. I, I see what you're saying. Okay, so the the storm is actually some kind of dark matter that's like anti gravitons. Well, no, no, no. If you either put one Earth mass above one Earth mass, in between you get zero G. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. I wouldn't try to work with the physics on that one. But remember here, and, and Richard, you know, you're hypothesizing a storm that actually is cohesive, and it also seems to have, I, I don't want to use the word intelligence, but it seems to, it'll go to the center, it'll hang around there for a while, and then it'll pick a direction and go off in that direction, still retaining cohesiveness. To me, that sounds in some way directed, okay? I mean, it's either being attracted by something or it's being repelled by something. Something's making it move. Yeah, if it's moving intentionally, even if it, you know, it's a random, it's still going from, Portal to center to portal. There's some logic behind that, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you could say that there's some in, some potential in the fringe paths that's attracting it or repelling it as, as due to these imbalances. But again, I like the idea that maybe what it's doing is it's hunting people or it's hunting fringe travelers. The whole point of it is to go and show up and cause you trouble, but then move on because it's not the, the Tamellan are basically you know good people, so they they don't want it to kill you. They don't want it to kill you, okay? They want it to mess with you and make you want to go home, <laughs> or at least find some place to shelter out for a while and slow you down. Yeah, I'm also wondering if it's also part. It's actually different things. It could be also a malfunctioning. Well. Cleaning system. The platforms get dirty. You gotta clean them somehow. Richard, didn't you want to say that the platforms get regularly clean? So you're putting, so trying to store anything on them is. They do. Things that are left on the pathways are dumped. Will eventually scoot down the pathways and find somewhere dumped, usually in pocket universe. Yeah. That's why you find junk-filled pocket universe. Yeah. 
Well, I thought they were grabbing the junk from the the primes and the alternates surrounding them. I didn't think it was actually taking it from the fringe paths themselves. It's it's taking it from the fringe paths and from the primes and from the alternates. Ah, so okay. Well, then it has nothing to do with storms. No, but it could. It could, yeah. But what do you think of this idea? Is this a good idea? Is this a good idea to add something to the game that acts as an intentional impediment or weirding out of the PCs, okay, as part of their fringe-worthy exploration experience? Trav, you got any thoughts? Not really, no. I'm coming up on black that one. <laughs> I just still think that there's a reason. Yeah, I don't know. Cleaning? I mean, what would the jelly fire be cleaning? Everything. <laughs> the jelly fire actually looks like cleaning. Well, it even says the, these clouds of boiling pinpoint, boiling, boiling pinpoint nights are magnificent to behold. Swirling like a snowstorm, the minute fluorescent globules build up on exposed surfaces until brushed away. Jelly like in nature, they smell like rotten eggs and are useless. The sticky residue evaporates in 10 minutes, leaving no trace. Really, not seeing how that would be cleaning like that. Well, they're not functioning properly. That's the problem. Or they only clean things at a microscopic level. You know, if you're hmm. just trying to get rid of dust mites and things like that, or or bacteria or anything else that could be on the fringe pass, this would be a way of eliminating it without actually, you know, like eating people like acid. Well, uh, dust mites, but not bacteria, because bacteria would be would be screened already by the portals. But yeah, 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 you can still get stuff. Beneficial bacteria might still be there. You're right. So you may just take oh, yeah. The, yeah. But also dust mites, which are you know parasites, and they don't get eliminated by the portals. No, they don't. Yeah. So the snowstorms are basically it's you know the the rinse cycle only set a little too cold. Mist clouds, then the rinse cycle set a little too fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. in mode. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're not answering my question. So I understand, Trav, you didn't have any idea, John. What do you think? I mean, is it a good idea to add a, an impediment to keeping the players from getting to the place that they're really intending on getting to? Once they realize that they can be weather out there, like snowstorms that dump several inches of snow. They got really paranoid about getting back home because they were at the cons at the time, and they you know they realized we got we have to come back, and if it's snowing out there or what or something out we don't know mudslide mudstorms you know they actually thought seriously about putting snowplows on their vehicles just in case because they had to get back. All of a sudden it was oh that's something we didn't we didn't, we didn't realize could happen, and what what can we do to get around it if it happens. Yeah, so it was that that extra impediment, and they weren't quite sure if it was me being random or me being malicious with the occurrence. Actually, I decided to introduce it uh, at that point, and I picked Snowstorm because I knew it would be bad enough. It would slow people down, but it wouldn't be, you know, as bad as like a gravity storm. It wouldn't be entirely harmful to the party. Yeah, it'd be a warning that stuff happens on the Fringe Pass, and it's not desert, you know. As far as. The fringe weather being a impediment for travelers to get where they want to go. I would think if it was something that was induced, like the Melor, they already did that inadvertently with the logic bomb. They locked down a lot of portals that 
if you don't want the players to go to something, I mean, just deep the portal locked, and then when you're in the course of the campaign, when you get a key. No, I thought the t- I thought the T primers locked the system down. No, the Melor did a logic bomb. They wanted to unlock everything and get all the Melor out, and instead it, it it flubbed up and had the reverse effect from what I read in the D20. Yeah, the t- the T primers did lock the portals down, but then the Melor used the logic bomb to try to unlock the portals with limited success. So I'm thinking use the, the weather as an impediment to keep your characters from going. You can just say that the portal is locked. I, I just I consider the fringe path weather just to be a random occurrence, something to throw in just to be, you know, it's like something to, you know, break the monotony of travel. That's what I see the fringe weather as. Now, seeing that it was intentional, I would see that if the Termellern did it, it might be as a teaching exercise. Okay, these people are going to be out on the fringe paths. Let's, their adversity level. Let's see how they, you know, it'll train them. Because, you know, the Termellon, they're trying to uplift everybody. to get them all to the same level of consciousness, I guess, would be, you know, ethical and moral levels. And having to deal with the adversity that brings out the best in people. So I would see the Termellon would have put that in just as an extra mix as like an experiment. Okay, there are people out there. Post little pictures of sick figures, yeah. So there's a big difference. Yeah. And the question is, why is Earth so important to the T Prime Tremellon? And what happened that they had to evacuate? Yeah. Uh, other than you know, the fact that the Mellor were there, there were also three main control centers on the T Prime planet, and one fairly close to Earth. Those were pathway programming centers. Yeah, and I wouldn't paint the T primers as being angels. I paint them as being basically. No, I would paint yeah. them as being possibly very, very arrogant, but loving, much the way we like dogs and cats. Research scientists, you know, they have problems, and they, they and you know, and if they take a liking to the rat, they may not kill it at the end of the experiment. You know, they're not going to do. They, they want humanity and they want the Commonwealth from our to join them in their yeah. ideals, which yeah. are not necessarily the ideals 
that the Commonwealth and humans have. You ever see the Tremelrin in a bar? You probably see Commonwealth Tremelrin in bars. Yeah. So basically, the tea primers, like the Ashanti, want everyone to sing together, huh? And if you didn't sing, psychology was made used to make you sing. Yes, I remember that from Incursion. Yeah, if you're not going to sing, we're going to make you sing. And I, and I decided that on the, on the Ashanti warships, they were warships, but they didn't use lasers or whatever. They used, let's all kumbaya together. Okay, we saw what happened with the kumbaya theory in Yugoslavia. Yeah, it doesn't... Well, everybody together, everybody was at peace, all the religions, everything was fine. Once the Russians moved out, they exterminated each other. Yeah. My, my thing about the Termelern is that, yeah, they, they wanted to uplift everybody, but I didn't see them as people who had a lot of... Compassion? Ethical foresight, because if they knew... If they had realized about the Kikak and just how they would be, the whole thing with how they turned out, because they they basically uplifted a dinosaur to get the Kikak, a Dinonychus. And just with all the trouble the Kikak caused, I see the Termelon as, oh God, yes, they're incredibly gifted, but they don't always sit there and plot out what possibilities... At times, the T-Prime Trevelyan were so gifted and ahead of the other races that they were basically ignorant of what the real motivations of these races were. They had a rather Pollyanna view. What was that one, one quotation? Even the Krell had their base uh, beginnings, and they totally forgot that, that people were basically people, not angels. Probably the best thing I ever read in college that I use to this day. Human nature is self-interest. Ah, no, 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 no. I, I keep up with a lot of uh, anthropology. Uh, humans actually are somewhat altruistic, but n not entirely uh, 100%. We're more altruistic than other species. When things are at their worst, sometimes humans are at their best. Yeah. This was it that Dennis Miller said. Humans have the ability to be the most noble and the most barbaric of beings, often within the same 10-second time span. Yep. All right, well, back to what you said, Trav, about how you go out onto the fringe paths and you, uh, and you run into this weather, it, it will make you pause. And I don't mean that just in the slowdown version. I mean, think about some of these people who go fringe traveling. I mean, if you didn't have IDET, they would be like somebody who goes out and discovers the fringe portal and goes through it like uh, Sun Yuri and wanders on the fringe pass just like it's it's like it's a big piece of candy that was just left there for them and oh isn't it great to explore it well you know if you do that and you go to a bunch of different portals different worlds you get killed yeah so maybe the the fringe weather was a little wake-up call hey wake up it's not that non-dangerous out here it's not all pine and roses out there on the paths yeah might need to like take some protection maybe you need to get a crew together to come do this maybe this isn't something for just a single person unless they're really devoted or really antisocial well the t prime termelern you know they wanted everybody to sing which means safety numbers learn to work together learn to work you know as a group 
Dynamics are the key here. Teamwork. Camellard by about 2060 were gone. They had left completely. At that point, they discover that the T-Prime homeworld, which is directly across from Earth, up and down the spiral. Uh, you can only see that for any world, but, you know, okay. There's no way of knowing that except Richard telling us. That's the thing. You can't map it out. And the fact that the, the T-Prime homeworld by about 2060 was an asteroid belt. Thank you, Bruce. 2060? 2060. 2060 on Earth Prime, he means. T-Prime. It's gone. Literally gone. And somebody put up. Wasn't it that they moved their homeworld 40 light years from Earth's solar system in, in the T-Prime universe? They did something 40 to 100 light years away from their Earth. And what is the easiest thing you can do for that kind of a to take 80 billion and move them. Well, if you got the big system, you just move them. Well, it, it, well, it could probably be a two-phase two jump then. You have some sort of massive relay at 40 light years out, and then you bump it there two light years from there, and then now you're outside the reach of anybody who doesn't have star drives. If you assume that the fringe paths, uh, the fringe weather on the fringe paths is intentional, that it's there for a purpose, and it serves a purpose, and it's, it's programmed into the system, then it brings it up to the possibility that it could be used by someone talented enough as a weapon against other groups, power centers, against fringe travelers, against even individual worlds. You could use it as a weapon. Oh, dear. If you bring a snowstorm and just park it on a prime platform and just let it go, you'll get feet of snow after a while. You can get to the point to where you, you, you basically you step out, you go poop into snow, and there's nothing you can do about it. Definitely block somebody from getting out. Yeah, and you could layer it. Yeah. Nothing in here says there can't be more than one storm in an area. You go through, you got a snowstorm on the platform, but then you go out and on the pathway, there's another storm. If that happened, if you already had a storm on a platform and another storm came in, would they coexist with each other and swap places? Especially if we're talking about a prime where there is no other way to go, unless, of course, you use the hidden portals we were talking about. You could like layer this stuff. You literally make this gauntlet for people to have to go through. This is what a really smart, fringe-aware, engineer-type person would do if they wanted to isolate somebody, let's say the Coptics, from the rest of the French Pass. <laughs> it also would naturally occur. You pull onto a platform. Out of one portal comes a snowstorm. Out of the other portal comes a gravity storm. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> that assumes they can coexist together on the same platform. I don't see why not. That's just the GM being a jerk. <laughs> or somebody intentionally doing that. If that's the case, here we have another opportunity to create some more crystal powers. Mm-hmm. Control fringe weather. That would be a high-level crystal, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, Security level. Was this eight and above? No, nine above. Nine and above and probably a DC-50. For D20 parlance? Maybe that would be that hard to invoke a storm, but maybe if you wanted to banish one, it would be a lower DC. Or control it. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah. If you're banishing it, you're just getting it out of your way, like either backing it up or if it's on a platform, shoving it through another 50-foot portal. Yeah. 
this provides another opportunity for people to gain more abilities or learn more things that they can do with those crystals. I'm, I'm a little bit against the idea of turning a crystal into this Batman utility belt. But on the other hand, it does make them more interesting than what they're currently designed to be. You remember the number of functions that a crystal key has? It kind of already is a utility. <laughs> yeah, we added a lot to it. And I'm saying is that, yeah. you know, this is just a few more. But, but at the same time, I like the idea of this because it relates directly to activity occurring on the fringe path. It isn't just you, like, now you, now the thing can produce a disintegration beam. I mean, anything that has to do directly with the fringe paths, I think, makes sense for a crystal. And fringe weather is part of the fringe pass now. Oh, yeah. yeah. But so, only know. certain crystals would affect fringe weather. The engineering crystals, the rainbow crystals, that kind of thing. Yeah, the, like nine and above on the list of uh, crystal keys. No, I actually like the idea of using engineering crystals because they basically aren't well used in the game. I mean, you find a fringe device, plunk on a crystal, it operates. You got a storm coming, you get that little orange crystal in your hand, and you start commanding that storm with engineering crystal. That actually kind of makes sense. You're right. It, it would allow them to be more useful. It'd be a reason for people to carry them. Because the engineering crystals, they also glow in the presence of Friendsworthy, right, Richard? Yes, they do. Okay, yep. so there's that function as well. We have some potential here to do some co cool stuff. If we do give the idea that you can control fringe weather, then unless it's it's uh, presented at, a, at an earlier period of time, in most campaigns, they're not going to have high-level characters enough to do that in the early campaign unless they're literally playing a long time in the early campaign and really pumping up that crystal use power. Or they're playing a late campaign where a lot of the, the higher, new, where a lot more crystals have been found and they may have actually access to a higher-level crystal at that point. Right. Well, and also the fact that we are using the crystals as a means of making the campaign evergreen by keeping portals locked down. If you want people to be able to control weather using the fringe crystals, it makes sense that you'd have an engineering crystal because those you can find very early on in a campaign and they don't control whether or not portals could be locked and unlocked so they don't affect that aspect of your game at all. If you're going to turn around and say, no, no, they can only be used by the high-level security crystals, 9, 10s, and 11s, okay, that's something for the late campaign because you know, you've been using all the other crystals up till then to slowly unlock portals near your prime uh, location so that you can continue to adventure on those same platforms, you know, for extended periods of time, keeping those those platforms evergreen, reasons to go back to those platforms rather than, okay, we went and saw eight, platform, eight, eight portals on a platform. We didn't like three of them. One we liked, okay, we're never going back you still have reasons to go back, with, which is why we suggested it in the first place. So I like your idea, John, of it, having it being the engineering crystals in the early campaign. Yeah, you need an engineering crystal plus a maintenance and above, a red crystal and above. So that's actually much easier to get. So the engineering crystal gives you control of the things that actually operate on the, on the platforms and pathways. What does the red crystal have to do with the engineering crystal? It's called maintenance. Red crystals is listed as a maintenance level. So maintenance, you're accessing the maintenance system at that point. So you need an engineering crystal and a red crystal. Bang! And now you have access to the maintenance system, and that's what fringe weather is—the maintenance system. 
Are you talking about putting the two of them together like you would for calling a fringe train? Yeah, or, or holding them in both hands, one or the other. Oh, you're missing something. Uh-oh, what? Uh-oh. We're going to be introducing something else to show how they work. In the game, we ran at Amcon. One of the characters came in as a ringer. She was found by the Trevelyan, given to the gypsies. The gypsies then sold her to techers. Basically, Commonwealth and Trevelyan engineers but that weren't Trevelyan. Basically, humanoids. And she learned the use of a Trevelyan tool. Something that would hold at least three crystals in it. One engineering crystal, one in the core, and then one farther down. Sort of like you're a sonic screwdriver, but the functionality is much more complex. <laughs> so, and that went over very well. Oh, you need to write it up, Richard, so we can put it in the Savage Rose version. That's, yeah. that's why this book took more than an extra year to do. I would imagine you still could do it without the device. It's going to be more difficult. You can actually direct flow and work with the device and do things that you couldn't do before. Yeah. Basically, tapping onto a, uh, a black portal and see what's on the other side. That kind of thing. If we introduce, okay, you need an engineering crystal plus another two other crystals. Okay, so that's still something you can do in a mid-level campaign. You probably would have access to a red... You definitely would have access to a white or lower crystal at that point. You might then be able then to do things, but it's going to be harder because you basically don't have the, the help of the, of the device you put it on to do it. And these devices are immensely rare. Yeah. Rarer than a crystal maker? Uh, than a crystal maker? Well, something's got to make crystal keys. We think that may be part of the asteroid belt, though. Oh. There's probably some animal out there that, you know, drops them on a regular basis. <laughs> be really nice to the pangos and the brutes. Yeah. Well, our masters of biotech, we've made the portals now even biotech, giving them a, a more organic look. I see the crystal keys being grown. They could be made from home trees. Hey, Richard, can you break a crystal key? Yes. Ah. Original campaign, they took one, a tourist crystal. They began to bombard it with anything they could find, and finally they hit a radiation frequency, and uh, very strong radiation, and it exploded, basically. And what was left was a three-foot block of carbon and something like integrated circuit. Okay, so it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. All right. We only see the part that extrudes into our universe. Four-dimensional parts in a three-dimensional universe. So if I would put it into a into a, uh, a one of those presses that they, you know those uh, stamping machines they use to stamp out uh, sheet metal, would it would it leave an impression in the stamper? It would break the machine. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. It'd leave a little triangle-shaped hole in, in the stamper. Okay. Right. It's sort of like the unbreakable comb in the Bureau 13. You can break it, but you don't be around when you do it. No, it says you can't unbreak it, John. It says it's unbreakable. <laughs> All right, so let's let's sum up here. I realize that according to the canon, okay, that this is an aberration 
It's not something that's normally controllable. But with this change, you can either say it's an aberration, but you could control it with a new crystal key power. Or you could say that it was intentional. It's there to either temper the wanderlust of improperly prepared fringe travelers or B, to slow down and discourage people from going onto the fringe paths in large groups, especially for the purpose of causing danger to other worlds by invading them, by doing whatever they might decide to do. Much like the Coptic. Right. In the latter case, it would therefore make sense that the system itself would home in on travelers on the fringe path and on a uh, irregular basis hit them with these storms to continue to do what that purpose is. Otherwise, it seems to me that it's random, but the more distance you travel, the more likely it is that you would run into a fringe storm. Wait, wait, wait. Blix always says that, and, and we've, we've agreed, that the fringe path network is sort of sentient. Not actually sentient, but it has intelligence with things like the language gift and whatnot. Right. It is an AI. Okay. Is it a self-aware AI? It's not a self-aware AI. We, we agreed. Right, right. Okay, okay. That I get. Then the weather, then because it goes through portals, it comes through a 50-foot portal, stops at a pathway for, or a platform for a little bit, and then goes off in a random direction on another platform. And as I said earlier, there is a logic, there is a pattern to it. It's something manifested by the AI in the fringe paths, and it could be to deter certain people like the Coptics, because it would sit there and be looking going, okay, these jokers are marching a rather antiquated looking army down the paths here. These guys, if they're loaded for this much bear, they're up to no good. I'm going to try to impede them somehow. Maybe they'll turn around and go back. Hmm. Hit them with a memory storm and make sure the memory storm has a lot of bad experiences of combat. Like noise storm. If you're on horseback, if your method of travel includes beasts of burden and you get hit with a noise storm, that's just pandemonium. Those horses and, or oxen or whatever it is that they're using are going to be leaping off the fringe paths in all directions. They're going to be turning around and running in the opposite direction as fast as they can go. I mean, it's, it's going to be ugly. You can kind of tell where active prime portals are because that's where storms drain down to and sit for a while before they head back. So yeah, when you leave Hatsumi, you best be carrying your weather wet weather gear or something, and maybe and maybe keep your parka on because it may be snowing on the other side when you step out. If it hits the alternate platform and then goes down to a prime, it has to come back to that same alternate. So the alternates are going to get hit with these storms much, much more often than any other location will. Those are the primary paths of travel between nodes is the, is the alternates. Again, to me, that sounds like intentional design, not an accident.
This is just ideas for the GM to make your game more interesting. Now, obviously, if, if this is ticking off your players, if it's, if it's slowing them down in a way that they're not enjoying it, don't do it. <laughs> don't. Don't make your players unhappy. We, we want them to be happy players. Okay, but at the same time, try to use it to spice things up too. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. You could drive through a snowstorm. It's just one more piece of adventure dressing. It doesn't actually have to slow them down or stop them, or at least not slow them down that much. So it just depends on what your players want. If they don't want to be on the fringe paths any longer than they have to, then obviously this is something that you want to be an inconvenience rather than a real impediment. But if, on the other hand, you've got people who are actually looking at the fringe paths as I'm trying to promote, as another world to explore in and of themselves, this is a very powerful event that can occur in those explorers' lives as they go through that process. Yeah, and don't worry about people hydroplaning or skidding off because if you if you read your read the rules, the surface pr- provides attraction service at speed. So yeah, you're not going to hydroplane because the surface will form us will reform so you won't hydroplane. If you get enough snow, you get enough water, I think you could very easily. That's where the slowing down is important. Yeah. I'm not going to – I think like you start getting incredibly rough at a certain point. You really start to realize, okay, the road's gotten rough. That's a, that's warning to slow down. Yeah. But I'm saying, man, unless this thing is going to start jutting up like a quarter inch or more, I don't see how it's going to give you traction through an inch of snow. Yeah. Inches, yeah, an inch, yeah. Oh no, in, in a minute or two, and it's gonna be there for. Uh, it could be up there. Uh, let's see, uh, at least 10, 20 minutes. So you're not talking inches snow. You're talking twenty inches of snow. Well, it says it, it, it'll drop up to an inch of snow uh, in ju- in just a minute or two. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, that could be very deep. Right, that's what I'm saying. So I, I, I don't see how the fringe pads are going to help you in that situation. Yeah, not in a snowstorm, but in a rainstorm, I think you get you, you might you only it's an inch of rain at tops. But where's the rain going to go, John? Uh, it's a flat platform, so it's going to puddle and go off the sides. And go to the bottom where it's also raining? Well, actually, it'll go off to the sides and go up and then come back down again. It'll get caught in the convection currents and go up. and. Co- you basically have a wall of, of water raining upwards at the same time as raining downwards. Yes. That is a bizarre... You know, I've never really thought about that. That is a bizarre image. Think of the vertigo aspects of that. You're driving down. Rain is coming down in front of you, but all around you, you can see rain, you know, pouring upwards on the other, on the other side. Thanks a lot. I need aspirin now. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or another yeah. beer. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And if the wind's blowing, it may actually start swirling. So yeah, you may be caught in a in a horizontal uh, turbulence at that point. I just see the rainstorm getting stronger and stronger because as the water drops out of it, it's going to come out and keep adding and cycling and adding and cycling. You're adding more water into a, into a, a, a hydraulic action. It's just, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. If you start pumping energy into the system. Because right now, the only energy it gets is from the gravity. If I start pumping energy in the form of warm water or something like that into the system, the air is going to start moving more and more at that point. And you theoretically could cause a horizontal cyclone to form from the added energy of the water. Uh, That means you could possibly form a horizontal tornado. That would be amazing to see. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the physics or whatever, but okay, folks, here's an idea. Okay, if it, if it, if it rains long enough and it's warm enough, okay, <laughs> then you might suddenly see a cyclone, a horizontal cyclone appearing in front of you. Oh, yeah, we'll just wait this one out, boys. It'll be fine. Actually, not, not just one, Bruce. Two, because you got on both sides. Yeah, but you don't have to worry about the one on the bottom. <laughs> no, 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 in front of you, because I mean, it comes down and goes and it goes out. So it'll be actually two side by side cyclone, kind of rotating cyclones. I don't understand that. I mean, isn't there one below the platform, uh, the pathway, and one above the the pathway? No, no, because the way the air circulates, it goes out and goes up, yeah. and it comes back down again and meets in the middle. So basically, you have a kind of rotating cycle. On the on the on top and on the bottom, so you end up with a counter two counter rotating tornadoes next to each other on the platform. Are you still looking down the cone, or is the cone perpendicular to the the pathway? No, the cone's going to be horizontal. You're looking down. You're going to be looking down the shafts. It's on top and it's rotating in front of you. So you've got this tunnel of death in front of you yeah. that you could. Theoretically, imagine going through, but it would be a bad idea. Very bad idea. <laughs> yeah, okay. Wonderful. And imagine that traveling, because these things move, right? Yeah, and imagine this if it's electrical clouds instead of rain clouds, because electrical clouds still rain, but now you have lightning. <laughs> I think you might have lightning anyways with something uh, rotating like that. Oh, yeah, you probably would build up static charge, and yeah, you probably get discharges on anything that's not charged. So instead of it just being a rainstorm, okay, you got a cyclone that's basically moving down the fringe pass like that uh, uh, that cornucopia of death in Star Trek. <laughs> it's just like turning their vehicles around and running for it, <laughs> hoping that they don't they decide to go another direction when it gets to the next platform. You're driving down, you see it heading towards you. See how well you can do a three-point turn on a 48-foot wide platform with a trailer. <laughs> the problem with that has always been that the lighting is so bad on the fringe pass. How soon would you see it under that lighting condition? Let's say you're traveling at a good 50 miles an hour because, I mean, you can. 41 feet wide. There's really no worries about, you know, having an accident. Let's say you're going 60, so you're doing a mile a minute or 88 feet per second. How close could you see it? It's twilight, but you're also looking through 50 miles worth or how many miles of air, which is on, which we only see at best 12 on the Earth. And on 12 on the Earth, it gets kind of, you know, kind of hazy, and if it's raining, it's going to be extra hazy. You may actually end up realizing it's raining before you realize you're in, what's happening at that point. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how much warning you actually have that there's something really there. Now, of course, if it's lightning, if it's static electricity inside, you could see that coming from, from miles away. Yeah. And if it's electrical storm, it's light, it'll just be lightning all the time. Right, right. That's real easy to see, too. Some of these are pretty easy to see, but I'm just saying that rainstorm that's actually a tornado, that's that's pretty amazing. Well, what, should, what do you think? We're turning the fringe pads into a death trap dungeon. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> if I ever play again, I'm going to have an umbrella. <laughs> oh... Living up the Northwest, we don't use umbrellas anymore. You just put on a good set of rain clothes and don't worry about it. <laughs> Look out for the tree squids. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. 
This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.